Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Don't go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying and being given in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulphur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who was on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Uh, Let's pray for a moment and then we'll... um, Uh, unpack these verses. Father, thank you for your words to us this morning. We just remind ourselves once again that these words are your words. They're living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. You have breathed your life and your authority and your power into these words. And Lord, as we've heard them this morning, may they already be uh, impacting our hearts and our minds. Uh, May we be attentive to what you are wanting to say to us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, the coming of the kingdom of God. Uh, remember, Jesus is on, his, is on his way to Jerusalem. This is part of his final journey towards Jerusalem. He's being asked all sorts of questions. He's trying to prepare people for, uh, for what is to come. There's all sorts of assumptions that people have made that he's trying to um, challenge uh, trying to sort of re-educate them so that they're not taken totally by surprise when they arrive in Jerusalem. And uh, the Pharisees ask him this question. Uh, when will the kingdom of God come? When will the kingdom of God come? And in their mind, they have this idea that uh, the kingdom of God, you know, when it comes, it's going to come in great force and with great impact. They're, they're, they're longing for a Messiah to be sent. They're longing for God to step into history and intervene. And uh, I just remember back to the the first Gulf War, the military strategy that the Americans and others used at the, at the beginning of the first Gulf War. Uh, it was called shock and awe. Uh, it was it was you just rain down overwhelming force on your enemy so that they are so stunned you can then easily overwhelm them. And that was, that was the theory, that was the strategy, uh, shock and awe. And, and the Pharisees kind of have this, this sort of hope that 
sort of that's how it will be when the Messiah comes in terms of what will happen to the raising up of Israel as an independent nation and the punishment of the Gentile nations who've been opposing Israel for so many hundreds of years. God is going to rain down his shock and awe. You're not going to be able to miss it. And it's not like that. Uh, Jesus says the kingdom of God doesn't come with your careful observation. Uh, the, the Greek word that's translated, it's like a, uh, a doctor observing a patient uh, looking for symptoms to emerge. You're kind of watching and you're waiting uh, and you're waiting to see what will, what will happen. And they, they have this kind of idea that, that God is going to intervene decisively this day of the Lord. That's what they're looking for, a moment in time where God intervenes to put right everything that has gone wrong. And, and Jesus says, no, it's not going to be like that. Uh, you know, people won't be able to say, oh, here it is. There it is. Uh, because the kingdom of God is Within you. Now, this word, as you'll see, you've probably got a footnote that says it can be translated uh, or the kingdom of God is among you. It's a word that's it's it's really difficult to translate. It's really difficult to understand what Jesus is actually saying, which is why you get different versions of the translation. So and actually all of them work. So Jesus might be saying uh, the kingdom of God is uh, we'll go with the footnote, which among you. So some translates go with the kingdom of God is among you, in which case what Jesus is saying is, uh, well, Jesus is, I'm among you. And Jesus embodies the kingdom of God. Uh, Because what is the kingdom of God? It's the place where God rules and reigns. It's the place where God's authority is recognised. It's the place where everything is as God intended it to be. Well, you look at the life of Jesus and in the life of Jesus, you see, a perfect life. The kingdom of God reigns in the life of Jesus. As writer to the um, Hebrews. Is it Hebrews? Where did I put my marker? Yes, Hebrews chapter four. Uh, writer says, um, we don't have a high priest talking about Jesus who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Uh, why is Jesus without sin? Uh, Because the kingdom of God is perfect in him. God's rule and reign is perfect in the life of Jesus. Everything that Jesus does reflects the kingdom of God. That's why demons get cast out. That's why people get healed. That's why people are stunned by the authority with which Jesus speaks. Because he is the kingdom of God in human form. So the translation where Jesus says the kingdom of God is among you absolutely works. Because Jesus embodies the kingdom of God. But translation that uh, I think I've got and probably you've got is the kingdom of God is within you. Which again is absolutely true because that's the way the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God kind of it sort of works from the, from the inside out. Uh, Ezekiel uh, gives us this, this prophecy, this promise of God way back in the Old Testament. This is the promise. God says, Uh, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So when we receive Christ, the kingdom of God is within us and wherever we go, Uh, The kingdom of God goes with us. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 
Uh, so when we come to Christ, the kingdom of God is within us. I was just talking to Paul before the start of the service and we were uh, just thinking about where, you know, Jesus says, you know, where two or three are gathered together, I'm present. Where two or three, and, and, and sometimes we, we kind of use that in a sort of despondent way because <laughs> we're kind of at a meeting and there's only two or three of us and we're like, oh, well, it's all right. You know, it's all right because he's here, even though there's only like two or three of us. But actually, what Paul is saying, well, actually, it's not, about, it's not about absence, it's about presence. It's the fact that Jesus is present. So if there are two or three of us having a meal at the pub, the kingdom of God is there because Jesus is present. If there are two or three of us in the supermarket, the kingdom of God is there because Jesus is, is present there. That's how it, we carry the kingdom of God in us. The spirit of God is within us. But there's another translation which um, N.T. Wright uses. is uh, uh, one of the foremost New Testament scholars in the world today. And uh, the way he translates it is he says, the kingdom of God is within your grasp. The kingdom of God is within your grasp. Because he says the sense of the Greek verb, the Greek word, is you've got to do something about it. It's, it's active. It's not passive. You've got to do something about the kingdom of God. It is within your grasp. So if you translate it, the kingdom of God is among you, you can say, oh, that's very nice. It's, you know, it's among us. Or the kingdom of God is within you. Oh, that's fine. It's just, you know, it's like you have your, you know, you have your ready break and you have the lovely outward glow. And you don't, you don't have to do anything much about it. It's kind of in you. And then you get the ready break glow. Uh, but no, Tom, Tom Wright says, no, it's within your grasp. It's within your grasp. So actually, you've, you've got to be proactive. You've got to do something about the kingdom of God. And the rest of the passage that we're going to unpack just kind of bears that out. You have to do something about the kingdom of God. If God comes near to you, you have to respond in some way. You've got to engage with the kingdom of God. So that's what Jesus says to the Pharisees. He says, no, it's not going to, you're not going to be able to you know, observe it in the way that you're expecting to, but you, you know, you will notice it. It will start to grow because the kingdom of God, as Jesus has said before, it starts small. It's like a, you know, a mustard seed. It's so tiny you can barely see it, but then it has a massive effect. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the son of man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, here he is. Don't go running after them. So, why would people, why would they long for one of the days of the Son of Man? Son of Man is a title that Jesus uses of himself from Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament longing is, as the Pharisees were longing for, we, we know that things are in a mess. We want God to intervene. So the time is coming when you will long to see one. Why would you long to see one of the days of the Son? Why would you long to see God intervene? Because everything's going well. Because things are getting better. Because, you know, everyone's living in peace and everyone's following Jesus and it's all cushy. No. Why do you, you know, when, when do you long for God to intervene in your life? When things have gone wrong. When things are out of your control. When you're distressed. When you're, when you're panicking. When you're fearful. When, when things are getting worse. So... So Jesus says the time is coming when it will be like that. People, things will be so bad that people will be crying out for God to intervene. You know, that, that's what we do in our own lives. 
you know, if everything's going well in my life, if I'm having a really lovely day, that would be nice. <laughs> when things are all going really smoothly, <laughs> then I might, you know, I might have a day where I even forget to pray because it's like everything's going swimmingly. Not many days like that. But, you know, it's when things are going by, I'm like, Lord, I need you. I need you. And Jesus says, it's, come, it's going to be like that in history. It's going to be like that in the world. Don't expect, Jesus is saying, don't expect things to get better. Don't expect, you know, the world to get better. The world has turned its back on Jesus. Don't expect things to get better. The time is going to come when people will cry out, will long for one of the days of the Son of Man. But the warning is, when those days come, don't end up running down a rabbit hole. Don't get, so, don't get distracted and misled. It's, it's so easy. I, I remember when I was at, um, when I was at university in the, in, back in the 80s, uh, I, was, I was at Durham University. And there was an extraordinary season in Durham from sort of the late 60s to the mid 80s. Just a season of revival. It was an extraordinary time. The CU was, there were hundreds in the CU. Churches were growing, new churches. It was, just, it was an extraordinary time of, of revival. And there was a huge expectation that this was, uh, you know, that Jesus was coming back. You know, there, there was a real sense of, we're in, you know, we're in the end times. You know, things are getting worse. Well, and... Um, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but I was told when, when I was there in the mid-80s that in the early 80s, some, some Christian students, when they'd gone to sit their finals papers, were so convinced that Jesus was coming back, they didn't, they didn't write anything. They, didn't, they just wrote Emmanuel. That, that was what I was doing. They just wrote Emmanuel, God is with us. Sadly for them, he didn't come back. So I don't know if they got their degrees. But there was, sometimes you get this, you know, this sense of, you know, things are in such a state, you know, and there's a move of God and you think, this is it. This is it. This is, and Jesus says, don't run down those rabbit holes. Because he says, when I come back, when the son of, the son of man in his day, when Jesus returns, you won't be able to miss it. The whole world will know that Jesus has returned. The whole world will know when Jesus comes back and he is coming back. Everyone will know. It will be like lightning, lightning up the sky. But first, he says, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Uh, There are two comings of Jesus. Jesus came the first time 2,000 years ago and he came to suffer and to die. He came to suffer and to die. The Pharisees don't understand this. They've missed this completely. Jesus' disciples haven't got their heads around it. Uh, But Jesus says, he says, the first time I've come to suffer and to die. Why? Because of sin, he suffers on the cross. He dies for us. But he's coming again. Jesus is coming a second time. The second time Jesus comes, it is to judge. And it is to restore and recreate. Jesus came the first time to redeem. He comes the second time to judge. And how do we avoid, how do we get on the right side of judgment when he returns the second time? By accepting what he did for us the first time he came. Jesus came, he died on the cross. A judgment is coming. We either um, take that judgment on ourselves and pay pay our own price for our sin. Or we accept that Jesus paid the price for our sin. And judgment will fall. 
Uh, And judgment will either fall on us if we don't know Christ or it will fall on him as it did on the cross. That's the reality of the gospel. So Jesus is warning them. He's saying, he's saying, look, uh, I'm going to suffer and die, but then I will return. So there's there's hope. There's a certainty of hope to come. There's a price to pay. Uh, Verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given. Same as in the days of Lot, people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, look, he's saying, when I come back, the world will be taken by surprise. When Jesus comes back, the world, you know, everyone is not going to be sat by their beds with their hands, you know, put together, waiting for Jesus. When Jesus comes back, the world will be taken by surprise, as in the days of Noah and as in the days of Lot. uh, Because people aren't interested. People aren't interested. Our hearts are are turned against the Lord Jesus. And people don't understand and don't expect that that judgment is going to come. What's the, you know, the message of Noah and the message of Lot is, is God brings judgment against sin. God brings judgment against sin. That's why Jesus came the first time to die on a cross. Because God can't ignore wickedness. He can't ignore unrighteousness. It it just goes against his holiness and against his character. He can't brush it under the carpet. He has to bring judgment. And that's what happens with Noah. And that's what happens with Lot. Is God brings judgment against wickedness. Uh, The same phrase, destroyed them all. End of verse 27. Uh, End of verse uh, 29, destroy them all. There's judgment that comes. But why does Noah get on an ark? Because God is a God of mercy. Uh, Why is Lot rescued from Sodom? Because God is a God of mercy. But the the reality is when Jesus comes again, most people won't won't be expecting him. And will, 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 uh, will, will suffer the judgment that he uh, that he brings. Uh, in the days of Lot, when um, if you read this story back in, in Genesis, uh, God meets with um, Abraham. Uh, there, are, there are three. It's, a, it's, um, it's called a theophany. Uh, sometimes in the Old Testament, there are theophanies where, where God appears as the Trinity to an individual. And, and Abraham has this theophany where God appears to him. And, and God says to Abraham, look, I've looked on Sodom and Gomorrah. And the city is so full of wickedness, I'm going to destroy it. And, uh, and Abraham uh, pipes up and he says, well, hang on. Um, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom? Will you destroy you know, them as well? And God says, uh, he says well, no, if there are 50 righteous people uh, in Sodom, then you know, judgment is not going to fall on them. And then Abraham says, well, uh, well what if there are only 40 uh, you know, will you, will you do it? And God says, well, no, if there's 40, then, you know, I'm not going to. And then Abraham goes, uh, what if there's only 30? And um, <laughs> God says, no, if there are 30. And then, and then Abraham goes, how about 20? <laughs> Just imagine this kind of conversation going on with the Lord. It's like, no, for goodness sake. Okay, I get the points. If there are any righteous people, they'll be okay. And it kind of, I think Abraham gets down to 10. He says, what if there are 10 righteous people? And God goes, Okay, if there are ten, <laughs> it's like. Uh, but but the, you know, the point is, the righteous are going to be saved. And uh, do you know what the do you know what the heartbreaking thing, the heartbreaking thing about this story, is that because 
Abraham pleads with God. God sends two angels into Sodom and he sends them to Lot because Lot is the only righteous family in Sodom. And the angels say to, they warn Lot and they say, look, judgment is coming. You've got to get out. Judgment is coming. Get your family and and get out. And uh, so the angels go and Lot gets his family together. He gets his wife. He gets his daughter. He gets his sons-in-law. And do you know what his sons-in-law, how they react? Do you know how they react? His sons-in-law thought he was joking. His sons-in-law thought he was joking. And they stay behind. And they die. Because the angels come and they say to Lot, judgment is coming. Get out. And they think he's joking. And they don't go. Uh, uh, Lot leaves with his wife and his two daughters and their husbands stay behind because they think, they think Lot's joking. And they die. And we live in a world where people think we're joking. When we talk about the judgment of God, they think we're joking. When we talk about the wrath of God, they think we're joking. When we say, look, you need to make a decision about Christ because there is a heaven and there is a hell. And some of us are going to heaven, are going to spend eternity with Jesus because that's what he won for us on the cross. And if you don't accept that, then the reality is there is a hell. There is an eternal separation from God. And the world thinks we're joking. It's not a popular message to preach. Uh, which is why most of the church doesn't preach it anymore, because it's embarrassing. Oh, actually, there's a heaven and a hell. People laugh. They think we're joking. Well, Lot's sons-in-law thought he was joking, and they died. That's reality. Judgment is, judgment is coming. That's why Jesus is telling his disciples all of this stuff, because it's important. He says, you know, God is holy. And because he's holy, he has to bring a judgment against that which is unholy. But that's why Jesus went to the cross. That's the good news. We were thinking on um, Wednesday evening at Life Group, these few verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and Paul says, when he went to Corinth, he says, he says, the only thing I preached about was Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was my message. I preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why does Paul focus on that as the heart of his message? Because... That's the answer to sin. That's how you avoid judgment. That's how you get eternal life. It's because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross. Jesus paid the price for our sin because he loved us so much. He loved us so much that Jesus went to the cross. And the reason Jesus went to the cross is because sin is a real problem. Falling short of God's glory is a real problem. You can't just brush it under the carpet and say, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, so much of the church today, uh, we've kind of got into this mindset of because God is so loving, oh, that stuff doesn't matter. He'll overlook it. He'll brush it under the car. It does matter. That's what these, that's what Jesus is trying to impress upon his disciples. He's saying it does matter. It really matters. That's why I'm going to Jerusalem to die because it does matter matter, and something needs to be done about it. And you can't do anything about it because you're sinful. I'm the only one who can do something about it because I have, I'm without sin. The kingdom of God is perfectly in me. The kingdom of God is within our grasp. Will, will we grasp it? Will we do something about it? Will we accept Jesus 
Verse 30, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed when Jesus returns. On that day, no one is, who is on the roof of, his, of their house with goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. What happens to Lot's wife? Lot is um, running away from, uh, from Sodom with his wife and his two daughters, his foolish sons-in-law have stayed behind. And Lot's wife runs and she turns back. She looks back. She hesitates. She hesitates. Her, her leaving behind the wickedness of Sodom is half-hearted. She's left, but she's she's still she's she like she wants to go back you know she doesn't she doesn't really want to leave she kind of looks back and uh, and she loses her life she loses her life because she looks back jesus says remember lot's wife don't hanker after that which you're turning away from don't hanker after you know after an old life Remember Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, the old has gone, the new has come. We have, we're a new creation in Christ. Uh, the tendency, the temptation so often is to, is to kind of hanker back to the old life. Uh, remember Jesus speaking to, uh, in Revelation uh, chapter 3, the, the church at Laodicea. Uh, and this is, you know, it's a church that Jesus loves, but this is his, his kind of criticism. He's, he says... Um, I, know your, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Uh, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Uh, uh, Jesus, you know, he, he wants us to be um, on fire with love for him and not lukewarm. You know, so much of the church is, is lukewarm. So much of the church is, is asleep. We just don't understand what's going on. We don't see what God is doing. We're kind of, we're like Lot's wife. We've kind of, you know, we've left that old life behind, but we're still, we're still kind of looking over our shoulders. There's still a bit of us that wants, and Jesus says, no, you've got to be 100% sold out for me. Because otherwise you're not going to survive, because he's already told them, you know, things are going to get worse before the end, not better. You've got to be fully focused. It's a real challenge. Um, you know, Revelation 3.20, there's this verse that we always use in evangelism. But it's not, an, it's not an evangelistic verse at all. You know, we always use it in evangelism. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You know, it's in the Alpha Course, it's probably in Christianity. You know, we always use it as evangelists. We say, this is what, you know, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Will you respond and let him in? And it, I mean, it works. You know, it's a brilliant evangelistic verse. But that's not why Jesus said it. Jesus talking to the church. He's talking to the church. Let me in. You know, this is how he describes the church. He says, uh, you know, imagine if I, um, you know, if I started the service this morning and just said, you know, welcome church. You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) That's what Jesus said to them. He says, don't you, they think they're rich. He says, don't you realise you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked I'm knocking on the door. Will you let me in? He's talking to Christians, not non-Christians. He's saying, wake up. Let me in. Be wholehearted. Remember Lot's wife. Don't keep looking back at the old life because it was seemingly easier than following Christ in this life. Following Christ in this life is hard and getting harder. That's the reality. 
The, the gospel always provokes a negative response from the world. And we're daft if we, if we expect living for Christ to be easy. It's not. He says, whoever tries to keep his life, their life, will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. Well, how do you lose your life in order to preserve it? By surrendering to Christ. By dying to self. By saying, Jesus, I die, I die to myself. I'm a, I'm a sinful human being. Uh, on my own, without you, I am utterly lost. I'm utterly useless. I have, there is no life in me without you. It's the total surrender of our lives to him. Um, it's lovely that we're having communion this morning in the context of this passage because, because, because when we come to this table in a few minutes and we take, and we take bread and wine, for me in, in communion, it's, it's, it's the meeting together of two sacrifices. There's, there's, such, a, there's such a mystery about communion because, because what we do is... That bread and wine symbolises for us the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And the only way to receive it is to bring your own sacrifice. And the sacrifice that we bring is, is just the offering of our own lives. You know, when I approach the table, what's in my heart and mind? In my heart and mind is, if you hadn't done this, I'd be going to hell. If you hadn't done this, I'd be lost for eternity. And so the only response that I can make is to come and bring the sacrifice of my life and say, Lord, I'm, I'm at your disposal. I'm here for you. I'm 100% here for you. Without you, I'm, I've, I am nothing. I can do nothing. My life, and it's the, it's the meeting together of those two sacrifices that, that gives the, the kind of communion it, it, its significance and, it, and, it's, and its power and its life. And that's what Jesus longs for. And he says... If you try and do it yourself, you'll lose your life. But if you come on your knees, if you'll surrender yourself, if you'll give up your pride and your ambition and your self-sufficiency, well, then you'll preserve it. Because he says a judgment is coming. On that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Uh, two will be grind, grinding grain together and one will be taken and the other... You know, you know sometimes we joke. Uh, sometimes we joke at home if... Um, you know, if, if one of the kids comes home and I'm, and I'm not there and, and, and they went all the other way round and we'll make this joke, oh, I thought you'd been raptured. Uh, you know, thought you'd been taken and I've been left behind. I was a bit worried for a moment. But, you know, that's the reality. That there's a, there is going to be ultimately a separation between those who know Christ and those who don't. Because Jesus is coming to judge. Uh, verse 37, where, Lord, they asked. Uh, and there's this lovely little expression, isn't there? Uh, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. <laughs> that's really, that's great, isn't it? <laughs> Just, uh, all right, okay. And uh, there, are, um, there are endless interpretations of what this particular phrase means. I mean, the, the list of, the list of interpret, ways of interpreting this is as long as you're on. And uh, the symbolism that people have read in is as long as you're on. But um, I think the, the easiest way to understand it, the simplest way to understand it is... is, is when it, the right time, at the right time, Jesus will come. At the right time, there will be a judgment. At the right time, there will be a, 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 a judgment and some will go to eternal life and some will go to eternal death. And you won't be able to miss it when it happens. It will be obvious and it will happen at the right time. So this is a passage of, of wonderful news 
It's a, a passage of, of grace and, and mercy, but it's a passage about the truth of the gospel, which is that Jesus is coming to the judge. And he's coming as a judge because he loves. And when you, as I said so often in the past, you know, when you love, you care. When you love, you want the best. If you've created something and you love it, you want the best. You won't tolerate imperfection. You won't tolerate wickedness. You won't tolerate because it spoils. It spoils. So the, the whole, it's a really good news that Jesus comes as a judge because we know then that he loves and he cares because that's why he, he's concerned about what's gone wrong and he's coming to fix it. He came, he died on the cross. Why did he die on the cross? For our sins, for your sins, for my sins. He died on the cross so that when he comes on the day of judgment and I stand before him and you stand before him and he says, well, why should I let you into my heaven? The only answer is because of you. Because of what you did. And then we're welcomed in. And that's the only, any other answer won't do it. That's the only answer because of what you did. And uh, that's what we're going to remind ourselves of in this communion in a moment. It's because of what Jesus did. And we must have the courage in these days to preach the whole gospel of Jesus. Uh, we tend to preach the half that is acceptable. God loves you. Come as you are. Stay as you are. God loves you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is... Come as you are. God loves you. Repent and let him transform you into the person that you were created to be. Because there's a judgment coming. That's the gospel. And we must have the courage to preach it, even if people think we're joking, as Lot's sons-in-law did. So let's pray together for a moment before we um, move to communion. And... uh, just allow the Lord himself, I've you know, shared a lot and uh, we thought about a lot of things. Holy Spirit, what, what do you want us to take away this morning? Holy Spirit, how do you want us to respond? The kingdom of God is within our grasp. Uh, how do you want us to grasp your kingdom this morning? Maybe it's in a moment of, of complete... Um, humility and repentance and maybe in these moments uh, we need to offer ourselves as a sacrifice to Jesus and say Jesus I'm sorry that I've sinned I'm sorry that I've fallen short of your glory I I need you I'm lost for eternity without you but I understand that you died on the cross for me and so I repent, I turn from my sin and I turn to you. And Jesus, I accept you into my life this morning. Please forgive me. Please cleanse me. Please give me that new life of your spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, maybe there's something else that you want us to, another way you want us to respond, something you've... You want us to, uh, just to know, you want to ink into our hearts and minds today.